Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. I always wish I had a stick when I come up here. It's just to let you in my head. Like, I always feel like uh, the orchestra conductor when I come up here. And I just, I always just want to tap and, you know. <clears throat> but I'm also the less, least musically inclined person here. So you can thank God that I never do that. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's not one of my giftings. Um, but this morning, our passage uh, does has to, has to do with gifts. Gifts this morning. And so um, the gift that God gives of life and then um, a gift that, that Mary then gives uh, to Jesus, to God. And so, <clears throat> and it's pretty incredible. I mean, receiving gifts or giving gifts is one of the most exciting things that we can do. Um, just think Christmas. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not good at receiving gifts, and that's just one of my anti-superpowers, I guess. I get great gifts, and I don't know how to show appreciation <laughs> um, for them. And it's because of that, I think... I love giving gifts a whole lot more than, than receiving them. And so I think most of us, when we see somebody get a great gift, we're excited for them. We're like, oh, that's totally perfect gift for them. You know, especially if it's, a, if it's a gift that changes their life and just, yeah, just completely changes the course of their life. And, and we're just so excited. Um, but yet, I think occasionally, you know, allegedly, possibly, sometimes we see somebody get a gift and we may be a little jelly, right? We may be a little jealous. You know, I think this is probably more when we were younger, right? I mean, I know a lot of instances when I was younger and seeing my brothers and sisters get stuff that I didn't even want, but I knew was cool, and so I, I, I was very jealous of them. And so, but at least it was on the inside, right? I mean, I was jealous on the inside. I don't know if you could tell or not, um, but I think even when we're jealous of other people's gifts, we do a good job of just, just keeping it in. Like, good faith, good for you. That's great. That's so happy for you. Um, and so, um, and, and that does, it sounds kind of bad <clears throat> that we would do that, but as we look at this text this morning, we're going to find people who cannot hide the fact that they are jealous of gifts that people are getting and gifts that people are giving. And, you know, it would be funny, you know, if it wasn't extremely sad and <laughs> depressing. But, um, and so in these first 11 verses uh, of John chapter 12, we're going to see great gifts, right? Great gifts given, great gifts received, Lazarus being raised from the dead, a gift of ointment from Mary to Jesus. And there are six characters in this that we're going to go through. In just 11 verses, six different characters to show us different angles of this gift giving and receiving. Um, some of them good, you know, okay, very good, but some of them like, Oh my gosh, did he just say that? And um, so let, let's learn from this, especially how to give the gift of worship. Like it, we're we're going to learn that very good this morning. Um, our sermon this morning is called Smelly Gift versus Stinky Attitude. So let me pray for us. <clears throat> God, what a joy to serve you, to come, um, that I get just to speak uh, the words out of your life-giving a word of the Bible, Lord. Thank you for communicating with us. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, Lord. Um, 
It is amazing, Lord. Help us to, to receive it well, Lord, and to, and to give it to others and offer it to others, Lord God. Uh, may you be honored by our, our service today, every aspect of it, Lord, our presence, our singing, um, going through your word, Lord, reading your word, Lord. We do this all to the glory, Lord, of, of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, where Jesus had raised him from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. And so it's kind of weird because in chapter 11, he was with Lazarus in Bethany. But the reason it tells you the time here is to let you know there's been time since this. Jesus is now coming back to see, to see Lazarus. And so the first character we're going to look at this morning is Lazarus, right? And so we learned in chapter 11 that for four days he was in the grave. He was, he, he was totally, completely dead. Jesus calls out to Lazarus, and Lazarus walks out of the grave. Um, maybe, you know, and I don't know how tight the bandages were in those burial ceremonies, but had to be awkward, right? Hopping out of the grave and not being able to breathe. Um, and, and, but more than being awkward, it's awesome because somebody is hopping out of the grave, right? And so, and Jesus is coming back to see him at this point. And so the first thing we look at is that Lazarus receives the gift of life, right? We saw that last week. Lazarus receives this gift of life. And so he's brought back to life from the dead. And is that a great gift? Yes, but it also it has a great sub-gift. For the rest of Lazarus's life, he is always going to have the best story. Right? I, so it's like, oh, one time, you know, this happened. You know, you wouldn't believe this story. Lazarus, the rest of his life, he has the best story. He gets to drop the mic in every conversation. And I believe he must have been talking about that at this party for him. So this is like, it's sort of, I guess, a birthday party. Right? Because, I mean, they're celebrating the fact that he's alive when, when he was dead. And so I imagine he's just talking about it. And we can only speculate, what did he see? Like, goodness gracious, who did he see? You know? And so everybody wants to talk to Lazarus. And so this gift of new life that Lazarus has is the same gift that Jesus offers all of his sheep, right? And the situation is a little different, though. I think we get a better version of it. Because like once we, say, say we died and we, and we showed up with Jesus and our joy will be complete. I mean, there's nothing better. You're not even going to be thinking about, uh, people will miss us on earth, but nobody's going to be thinking about who they left behind because you're in the presence of Jesus, right? And so when we die, we're with Jesus, but if we get called back like Lazarus was, then it's all going to click very quickly. Oh man, like as much as I love my family, and everything, you know, whatever you love, Jesus is better. And so I think we get the better, the better end of this deal as being followers of Jesus, that when we die, we get to be with him, and that's it. And that's all I want, right? And so we'll see some similarities here also in the fact that Jesus calls out to Lazarus, calls out to Lazarus the same way that Jesus calls out to his sheep, right? Calls out to his sheep, you know, come to him, also, the fact that Lazarus walked out of the grave, which Jesus walked out of the grave. And so you see all these similarities and a setup for what's going to happen in a week. And so 
as we talk about gifts, I mean, we have to realize that in Christ, we have the greatest gift of all time. You know, through belief in his perfect, his perfect life, you know, his sacrificial death and resurrection from the dead, we get to be friends with Jesus, right? I, I mean, I don't mean that in a disrespect. I think sometimes it's difficult. Jesus is holy. He's awesome. He's perfect. And so sometimes it's like, well, we can't call him our friend, right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that a diss? That, that I'm friends with God? That sounds, that sounds arrogant. But in fact, they were friends. I mean, look, Lazarus was not a random dude, right? Jesus didn't heal some random guy. He heard, you know, died. He heard his friend died. And so Jesus, as we learned last week, is a great friend. So he goes to Lazarus. Not only that, he comes back for Lazarus's party, right? Jesus is, you know, he comes to, I mean, I love the friends that show up to parties, right? I mean, that's a good friend. Doesn't just RSVP, but he comes. And yet God is, the God who already raised him from the dead, owed this guy nothing, has already raised him from the dead, now just comes to hang out with him. You know, again, pointing to what kind of friend that Jesus is. And so what we can learn from Lazarus is to, is to be a friend of Jesus, right? Be a friend of Jesus. Uh, Jesus um, is the best gift, right? Jesus gives the best gift, right? Himself. We see this, you know, giving himself for us to resurrect us, to give us new life. He's already given that to Lazarus, but also it mentions multiple times, and we will still see, that Jesus as a friend just wants to hang out with us, right? God wants to just hang out with us, as friends. And so th- this was a good response. The response to this gift of life was that these friends of Lazarus celebrated. So again, I think it's like a birthday party, right, for Lazarus, because he was just literally born again. However, you know, we skip down to verses 9 through 11. We're going to skip a little bit um, to see the reaction to the gift of new life to Lazarus. And so these would be... Um, People who don't know how to react when somebody gets a great gift. <clears throat> so starting in verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came out, not only on account of him, Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And so word gets out. Jesus is in Bethany, right? And so at this point, Jesus has been in ministry for three years, you know? And this is before, like, internet and before, you know, you, you could post where people are. And so for three years now, his legend is building. And so there's, there's two crowds that are looking for Jesus all the time, you know, a crowd that wants to kill Jesus and, and, and a crowd that wants to be healed by Jesus. And, and it says they found him. The large crowd found Jesus but also it says they were not just looking for Jesus, but they were looking for Lazarus. Like they want to see the guy who was raised from the dead. They want to hear this guy talk. Who did you see? Like when you died, what was that like? Everybody wants to know. That's the great mystery, the afterlife. So they're looking for him to see if it's true. And when they saw it, they believed, right? It says many Jews believed. And so again, that's a great thing. Praise God, right? But there's always two sides to this. And so John always uses contrast for everybody who saw this, that Lazarus is alive and they're believing, 
there's also a group who are going to take that same information and, and just think completely different about it. And so, of course, this would be uh, the chief priests. And so remember, going back to the end of chapter 11, chief priests are just, they are extremely um, angry at this. They want to kill Jesus, as we talked about last week. The guy who calls himself the resurrection, the guy who resurrects people from the dead, um, somehow they think that a plan to kill him is, is, is going to be efficient, right? A guy who's already proven, yeah, death, I, I can get by that. But, that. but that's still their plan. Now, interesting that they don't dispute the resurrection of Lazarus. That's important to note. They're not saying that it didn't happen, right? They're saying, oh, no, because it happened. Well, let's see. Like, what's our plan for everything? Whenever something isn't going our way and somebody's taking our glory, what do we do? Uh, we're going to kill him. <laughs> like, poor Lazarus. Like, so he gets the gift of life, which, which is now people want to kill him over it. And so their reaction to the gift of life is death. You know, their reaction to the gift of life is death. Kill the guy who raised the dead. Kill the guy who was raised from the dead. Um, because when people see him, what are they going to think? Well, Jesus is awesome is what they're going to think, right? And so, um, which isn't a problem, except that if people think Jesus is awesome, less people are going to think that we're awesome, right? These chief priests, man, Right, So the one thing we could learn from the chief priest about reacting to, to great gifts that others receive is to not worship ourselves. Not worship ourselves. I mean, that, that, that's what's going on here. What a privileged group to be <clears throat> chief priest of Israel at this time. All the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, right? The, the Torah, the scriptures, is being fulfilled in their presence. It's like, you know, just think about us, how, how we long for the day uh, that when Jesus comes back and being the generation that sees that, we would be overjoyed, right? Um, and that's essentially what's happening, right? This is the first appearance of Jesus and they are not having it. Everything they said they were waiting for is happening, um, but they're set, um, upset because they are not getting worship. They are not getting worshipped. And so they love their position and authority more than anything else. They would kill anyone who stood in their way of worship, of their worship. And so they react like to life with death. And we've seen this is their answer to everything. And it sounds kind of crazy. I mean, it almost sounds like, uh, like, uh, like cartoon villainy, right? It's like, who wants to just kill everybody? Like, when you see like, like movies, it's like, how is that the plan? Just for no reason I want to, <clears throat> to kill everybody so that I will be in charge and get the most glory. But we saw this recently at the Golden Globes. I think it was 2020, Michelle Williams. Um, I don't know what she won for. Um, no idea. But anyway, during, during her, her, her speech, she's accepting the award, she says, the reason I won this award is because of a woman's right to choose. And so what was she saying? I would kill, not I would, I will kill anybody who will stop me from getting my glory. I am holding this up with hands with blood on them. 
You know, and the thing about that is, you know, she didn't think that. I, I think there's probably many people who accept rewards and think that, you know, oh, I don't care about the people I stepped on because I got my, my award, but she is vocalizing it. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just so in your face. I mean, even when we are jealous that people get gifts, right, when people get honors that, that we want, again, I think we do a good job, or at least, you know, of holding it inside of us. But she vocalized it just as the chief priests vocalized it. I mean, it, again, it, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad, but imagine you um, being jealous. Let's say somebody that you work with in an office, um, somebody you work with gets promoted, and you just say, yeah, enjoy your promotion till I kill you. And that's what that's what it, that's what it says. They're saying like we're we're gonna like our response to life to a great gift is death. <clears throat> so from here we're we're gonna go uh, further down in the passage to another gift, right? So another gift is gonna take place, and this is actually the focus of this passage that most people focus on, right? Not not just the gift of life to Lazarus, and I focus on that because that's the setting. It's a party for that gift. But there's this other gift that takes place. And so um, going back to verse 1, we're going to read through verse 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So now we're going to look at this gift, right? We're going to spend a lot of time looking at this gift of Mary to Jesus. So what is this gift? What, what, what exactly just happened, right? And so what is this gift? First off, it is perfume, Right, it is perfume, and so, uh, um, and so this perfume, and your Bible may use other words, including ointment, right? So th- this is for um, it's used for burial. It's used for burial because um, they have to wait several days to make sure the spirit is no longer hovering over the body and it's actually gone. And so you have several days of a body not smelling good. And so you're also going to put it in a grave where at this time. Um, you have entire like lineages of people who are in that grave. So you can imagine when you go to a funeral, it smells really bad. When they, when they move that stone away of the grave, you're talking hundreds of years of, of, of the smell, right, of rotting corpses. And so with this ointment, what it does is it gives people the ability to focus on right, like the memories. And so you have the sweet memories, and now you have a sweet smell. And so your last memory of the person who's going into the grave isn't like this horrible remembering of this smell, right? It's like, oh, remember this? This was such a good experience. And so uh, it's just to help people focus. Now, most historians believe this smell was spicy. Like, I don't think we have an exact equivalent today. So it wasn't sweet. Um, It was spicy. Uh, whenever I read this text, I think of like chai tea, like chai tea leaves. Um, that is not biblical. I'm just, that's what I think about. <clears throat> but um, 
because it smells kind of spicy, right? Second, what is this gift? It is anointing. It is anointing. And, and this is sort of, a, I think, a weird word that we don't know in our culture. I mean, we have some things that, that might be similar. I think maybe ordination might be something like that where it's similar, where you're set apart for service. But in this context, it's usually pouring oil or smearing oil on somebody to set them apart, to set them apart as, as sacred, right, as being empowered. And so this is what they did with the priests, actually, in Leviticus. And so it seems kind of, in a way, it's like, well, it's just oil. <laughs> like, okay, you, I've dropped oil on myself. I've had hot oil fly out of the pan and burn me. Like, that didn't anoint me or set me apart for service, but... But that is what happens here. You are set apart for divine use. And I was thinking about this, even this past weekend. I remember having a football coach who would tell us that he was going to anoint us, which I had no idea at that age, at 10 years old, what he was talking about. Um, but, and we were a very good team. We only lost two games in, I think, eight years. But whenever we had a big game, like a big championship game, He's like, I'm going to anoint you guys. And so we'd have to dedicate the game to somebody. And so I don't remember. It's probably my mom or dad or grandma. But like he would say, like, we'd go in front of him and we'd kneel down. He's like, who do you dedicate this game to? I was like, oh, you know, this is for my dad. I'm going to do this for my dad. And he would get eye black, I think it's called, and smear, right, the stuff under our eyes, man. And we would go berserk. Like, we were like, Aah! you know, just little 10-year-olds. But we were like growling and shaking and... Yeah, and like the poor team on the other side is just eating nachos with their parents and we're just all, you know, shaking over there ready to play. Um, and at the end of the day, it was, I believe it's only grease. It's mainly just grease, right? And so just putting grease on our face, but, right? But it's that empowerment, right? It's, it's that setting apart of that moment, right? It, it is that empowerment that, that makes it powerful. And so our coach would then go tell us, Go leave it all out on the field. Go leave everything on the field. Whoever you dedicated this to, go. Do not hold back. You dedicated this game to them. And in a similar, except far more grand, more holy, I'm not comparing them, but that's kind of what Mary is doing right here with this ointment. She is saying, go. Like, leave it all out on the field. Like, this, this is burial ointment. Like, go... Give it everything you got, you know, which he does, you know, I think it's about a week or a week and a half after this. He gives everything. And the whole time, you know, I don't think we, we, we think about this, but everywhere Jesus went, as he was getting beaten to a pulp, there was this great smell, you know. And I wonder how much of that anointing of that smell, you know, as he was, he was swallowing his own blood and sweat, how much of that smell helped him to focus, right? Like this is, this is his divine purpose. He's leaving everything out and he's smelling, oh yes, this was always about my death. And he smells it. And everywhere he goes and everyone he talks to, you know, uh, when he's talking to Pilate, you know, it's not mentioned, but you have to think, you know, when he's talking to Jesus, besides the smell of blood, he's going to smell this ointment. Like everywhere he goes, people are going to know, like this is different, right? 
there's something about this. What does that smell represent? And so it's also very prophetic, right? That it points to everybody Jesus talked to. They're smelling what's coming. They're smelling like the sweetness, right? And the spiciness of, of his death. Also, what is this gift? It is worship. It is an act. It is a sign of love. It is an action that declares worth. Right? I mean, it declares worth. Almost every commentary I have read, and it might even say it in some of your Bibles, like the word extravagant, Mary's extravagant gift. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, I think, is, you know, what does our love for Jesus look like? What does our love for Jesus look like? And so I think that's important. I, I, <clears throat> as I look at my own life, and I've joked several times and people ask about James, like, what do they say about James? Well, oh, he loves hockey, he loves scones, you know, all, you know. But it, it, while that stuff is true, that is not what I want to be remembered for. The guy who likes scones? You don't know. And so as we think about our lives, we want people to see our lives and know that we love Jesus. I mean, for the rest of Mary's life, whenever she's brought up, which we see in other Gospels, whenever she's brought up, they talk about this, right? How Mary in her life showed how much love she had for Jesus. And so as we think about um, our, what does our love for Jesus look like, also ask ourselves, is it extravagant? Is it extravagant? And I, I, think, I think that is key. And, I, and I'm not saying this to provoke guilt. I'm not asking for anything. I'm saying ask yourself, what does your love for Jesus look like? And is it extravagant? Would people look at your life and see an extravagant display of love for Jesus? Would people have any stories about how much that you love Jesus? <clears throat> Yesterday, and this isn't in my notes, I was driving back, I forget from where, but um, it looked like a birthday party was happening. And I don't know, a couple hundred balloons <laughs> outside. A ton of balloons. This is actually just up the street. Um, and I was like, wow, that... That's extravagant, like, you know, for like a four-year-old four birthday or something. Like, that, people are going to remember that. Like, that house loves, right, in a sense, worships their children. And then as we drove by, we also realized that there were several Disney characters, like in full costume. I mean, that's extravagant. Like, people are going to talk about that, that love that they have, you know, for, for that child. And so... Um, what does that look like? Again, I don't know everybody's personal life and story, but I challenge you, I challenge you to find that, and, and if you don't have it, create it. What could that possibly look like in your life? What is this gift? Well, it is generosity. It is generosity, right? And so, um, it's expensive, I mean, look, the, the Bible, if it mentions something, like, it doesn't always give you details, Right? But it mentions here that this is expensive in verse 3. Uh, and does that matter? I mean, does that matter when it comes to the faith? Well, it does in this context, because this is kind of what, what triggers people, right? Is the fact that this is a super expensive gift. And look, this stuff smells great. And so 
Uh, I, I'm not a big uh, connoisseur. I don't know. There's a, probably a word for it. If you really are into to scents and, and, and perfume and cologne, um, you know if it smells really good, it's really expensive, right? And so, you know, there's always jokes about, like, you know, the Walmart fragrance and stuff because it smells like, like Walmart. Um, and so, and for the good stuff, you get, like, a tiny little bit. You're talking hundreds of dollars of perfume, uh, or a couple ounces of perfume for hundreds of dollars. And so this stuff, um, it's not cheap. In fact, it says this ointment, this perfume, is worth a year's wages. A year's wages. So that, that is a lot of money. Um, as I've mentioned before, it doesn't say it here, but I believe this is true, that um, the bank statement is a theological statement. Right? The bank statement is a theological statement. And so in that sense, Mary's making a statement. She knows how much this stuff costs and yet has no problem making this statement. And in addition to the cost of it, it it's a large amount. Um, again, to me, this is kind of funny. Like, it, it is a ridiculous amount. And so <clears throat> this is concentrated thick liquid. I mean, it's so thick that, that some scholars would almost call it a solid, right? Right, this nard. I mean, it, it, it is so thick. And, I mean, we know with perfume, a little goes a long way, right? And so I think the rule of thumb is you put a little bit on your skin, you know, a little bit, you know, where your pulse is, you know, maybe spray or two, walk through it. And then that's it. Anything more than that, as your pastor, let me love you and say, like, that's enough? Right there. <clears throat> And so, this ointment is concentrated. It's not watered down. It is thick. And she puts a pound of it on his feet. How long did it take to put a pound of this thick stuff? I mean, you know what a pound looks like? You know, like, like, a, uh, like a 16 ounce Pepsi, right? I mean, it's, this is a huge amount. It is so much. <clears throat> very lavish, and I think, I mean, there's part of me that just thinks that it's very funny. Like, it's, in, in a good way, not, not in a blasphemous way, but I mean, it's so, so ridiculously joyful. Ridiculously joyful. <clears throat> and so what we also see here with this gift, you know, what, what is this gift? Well, it is humility, it is humility. And we see this in Mary's posture. So she's on her knees touching his feet. And so not like our culture, right, where if we go somewhere and we get, like, a hamburger we like, we take a picture of it and upload it, right? Like, everything has to be about us. Um, if you give a good gift, like on TikTok especially, you know, you give a good gift, you have to show yourself giving that gift. Right, you have to show the reaction of it. None of that is taking place here. There's no expectation that anyone's going to hear. I mean, good for her. Like millions of people have heard, but that was not her. She didn't update her status to say, to say what she was doing. She brings this gift, already, like I said, ridiculous gift, beautiful gift, and instead of twirling around or pointing to herself, she gets on her knees. And so this posture, it's the posture of a servant. 
or a slave, right? Doulos, like slave. You didn't, like your friends didn't do this. Like you, you wouldn't be even be allowed to do that as a friend. Like anybody, it was beneath, unless you were a slave, you could not be on your knees washing somebody's feet. And yet that's exactly what she is doing. And so, so much humility in her posture, but also a humility in her hair. So again, just like perfume is expensive, another thing that doesn't change is women's hair is important, right? Women's hair is important, and it's important in this culture as well. Uh, in fact, uh, I forget what verse it is, but it says like hair is the woman's glory. It is super important, and yet she uses her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus, right? Her hair, that, that is just incredible, there was nothing she worshipped more than Jesus, right? In her generosity, in her humility, everything she did with, with her resources, that she did with her posture, that she did with what was important to her, submits all of it to Jesus. Now, I hope that the worship of Jesus by Mary, I hope that it has two effects on us. One, I hope like it convicts us. Right, because I could tell you as somebody you know who's standing you know in front of you as someone who should lead out in all this stuff. I don't know that there's many moments, or or, or even that I could say in my life that my that my humility is like this. And so I'm convicted, like I need to love Jesus like this because Jesus is worth it. Right, Jesus is worth being worshipped like this. But I also hope that it, that it's encouraging to you. It is so, uh, there's so much joy in this. And it's hard to explain because I know the knock against pastors. Like all they want is money. And I don't know if I've even talked about money really yet. When we ask for your service, and we'll go over that even in this sermon, it is for your joy. That is for your journey. You have no idea, you know, until you do it. You, you know, you're almost like a chief priest who's so negative until you do it, and you're like, oh, why did this feel good to give instead of receive, right? And so I encourage you to learn how to worship like Mary does. Now, of course, in John's style, we got to have the contrast. And so everybody around Mary, they're having a good time, you know, except for this one guy. And so we're going to look at Judas, so let's go back to verse 3 and then read forward through 6. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, well, he was who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge over the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so everyone else at this dinner is having a great time, right? And so, <clears throat> and they're like, what a beautiful gift. You know, yes, it's overpowering, maybe holding your nose, like it is so potent. But what a beautiful gift, except for this one guy, Judas. 
But to be honest, I think Judas represents the non-believer. Because I think you've probably experienced or heard or had somebody tell you, you are wasting your Sunday mornings. Like you are missing, you know, football games, you know, or whatever it might be. You are wasting your time. You are wasting your money. And so the unbeliever thinks that we are just absurd. And that's why John, I think a couple of weeks ago, John says, pity us. Like, don't be mad at us. Pity us. What are we doing? Right? And so, but how do we know that, that Judas isn't a worshiper of Jesus? Well, verse 4, it says he's about to betray him. So Judas is a false disciple. Oh, man, does this guy look the part, though. <clears throat> he's hanging out with the right crew, right? The 12. You know, he's at the right place with Jesus. And yet something is off about this guy. Something is definitely wrong and off. But as I have exhorted us time and again as we go through these Gospels, and there's almost, almost a comic villainy about the evil of some of the people that we meet, right, that are opposed to Jesus, before we shake our heads, before we, we shake our heads at the villainy, I always encourage you to check yourself. Like, Make sure you are a disciple. Make sure you are a disciple before you start shaking your head at Judas. Because like, even the other disciples didn't even know that, that he was a false disciple. This is, in, this is in hindsight John talking. That's why he's like, he was a thief. You know, this is after the point. They had no idea. He looked the part. And I think the worst thing for any of us would to, to think that we were a disciple and not be. So man, I just I encourage you to always reflect on that to make sure you are a disciple first. So what makes this guy a false disciple? What makes him not a worshiper of Jesus? Well, he worships money, right? He doesn't like money. I like money, right? He worships money. He isn't just driven by money like he loves so much money, like he's going to get three jobs, invest it correctly. He loves money so much that he is stealing it. He's stealing it from everybody, from the poor. He's stealing from God. Like nobody is out of range for him to steal from. And this guy just saw a year's worth of wages wasted on Jesus's feet, wasted from his perspective, wasted on Jesus's feet. And so this guy is upset. He's triggered. And so in that moment, he can't hide his heart. Like he can't, you know, I, he just can't hide it. So he blurts it out, right? Um, so Jesus loved money more than Jesus, which is a foreshadowing that we see a week from now where he just literally sells Jesus out for, for some money. And so we have Judas here. He's outraged and he's complaining and he's making a scene until he's quickly shut up by Jesus. So now let's look at Jesus. In verse 7, Jesus says, Leave her alone so that she, she may keep it up for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you, you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And these are two loaded verses, right? And so we don't see the eyes of Jesus. We kind of miss this interaction, but I think it was incredibly awkward, at least on Judas's part. You know, because let, let me paraphrase you know, in the context, what Jesus had told, told Lazarus. 
Be quiet, Lazarus, for her gift is beautiful, it's practical, and it's for my burial. She has a solid theology of the fact that I have to die, like even when my disciples aren't getting this, like she understands it. So if you want to pretend to care about the poor, maybe you can pretend after you set me up to have me killed. Right? And so I imagine that was the look that Jesus gave Judas as he's saying that. And Jesus says it so politely in light of everything that's happened. But that, that is what he's saying. Like, fake caring about the poor after you have me killed. Now there are two things I want us to know about Jesus' response here. The first is that Jesus acknowledges and accepts worship. Right? Um, he, he, the implication of Jesus' response is that he notices and he doesn't want it to be stopped. And so if anybody ever asks you, how do you know that Jesus wants to be worshipped? Well, you point to verses like this, right? And so it's interesting, uh, four days later, it's not in this gospel, it's in Matthew. Um, while he's still in Bethany, this situation happens again where another woman um, takes a jar of expensive uh, perfume, breaks it, except puts it on Jesus' head, right? And so in response to that, it says in Matthew um, chapter 26, Jesus says, uh, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So why recognize such acts, Right? Why tie them to the gospel? Wherever the gospel is preached, people are going to talk about this. Why are, why, why are they linked together? Unless this is a form of acceptable worship. Why is this brought up together? Because this is acceptable worship that Jesus acknowledges and, and he accepts it. Um, also, it, it, like four days later, in that same situation, <laughs> Judas uh, has almost word for word the same ex um, response to it. He's like, oh my gosh, we are wasting perfume again. So Judas has now seen two years worth of wages, you know, that he could have stole, taken from him. And it says that a couple days later at that point um, in Matthew, it says he goes from there and he sells out Jesus. Right? He's like, if I can't have the perfume money, I'm going to get my money, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to sell Jesus out. And so the second thing I don't want us to miss um, is, is that Jesus says that taking care of the poor is good. Now, there's a lot of controversy in this verse where people say, this disproves that we're not supposed to take care of poor people. Like where Jesus is like, that's not a Christian thing to do. There's always going to be a poor people focus on me. And I don't think that's what he's saying here <laughs> at all. In fact, I think that, that, that it's more um, showing that that's a ministry, like a declaration. He says, you are going to have the poor with you always. Like, this is a ministry that's not going to go away. And I mean, guess what? Like, it hasn't. And I believe that's what he's saying there, because this is the context of worship. This is the context of worship. And he's saying, you're going to have the poor with you always. And so don't worry, there's plenty of ministry time for you, Judas. I know how sincere you are about those poor. And don't worry, they're always going to be around. And so I believe taking care of the poor is a form of worship. 
And we see that all throughout the Old Testament as well, right? Taking care of the poor, of the widows. And so um, Jesus, Jesus, we see it throughout the Old Testament. When we say, well, does Jesus have, or not like God the Father, does God the Father have favorites? You know, but if we read the scripture, you can make an argument. Who's mentioned more than anybody, right? It's the fatherless, the widow, you know, the children, the orphans, and the poor. God is always saying, in fact, whenever, whenever Israel comes under judgment, what, what is one of the judgments? You didn't take care of the poor. I gave you ridiculous amounts of milk and honey, right? Not just, not just the necessities, but way above and beyond, and yet you, you didn't share them. And so I believe taking care of the poor is a godly thing to do. Whether that's volunteering, helping, praying, whatever that looks like, I believe it is worship. But I think for several reasons, some of us find that hard to do. And I'm not like going to push back against that. I get it because you're dealing with poor. It's like, well, how did they get there? Well, what are they doing? What bad decisions did they make? How do I know if I give them any resources they're not going to go and do something inappropriate with them? And, and let me just uh, reassure you that uh, you don't. But you can only do things for the right reason. You know, I remember having an uncle who wasn't a Christian. Um, he bought like this really good hamburger place down in Santa Monica. Um, got this awesome burger and he was ready to eat it and we, we stood in line to get it and there was a homeless person, and he just gave it to that person without even asking. It's like, well, and I told him, it's like, you don't even know if he was hungry. You don't know if he's a drug addict. Maybe you have no idea. But, I mean, he told me. He's like, I don't know, but I know why I did it, you know. And so, and even though he was thinking more of karma, it's like, well, I'm going to get credit for that. And I think as Christians, that's how we should be thinking. Not judging, right, because Jesus said he didn't come to judge, right? Judgment is already against the people. Let God worry about all that stuff. But you and your heart, worship God, worship Jesus by helping the poor. I, I don't think it's anything but a black and white issue. And I also believe that's what's being said here because what's required to help the poor? Well, it's generosity and humility. And so you see the same thing. And so, yes, Jesus is not in front of us. Yes, we don't have a year's wages worth of perfume, but we can help somebody we can help. We know somebody who can be helped, and so let's look for ways to do that. But you may also say, and honestly, so I don't have resources to give to be generous. I don't have extra resources. Like, what am I supposed to do? I don't have a year's worth of wages just to to give away. Like, I don't. I don't have any savings at all. So with that in mind, because I think that's real for a lot of us here, let's go back to verse 2. <clears throat> so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And so the last person I want to look at is Martha. It says, Martha served. Right? Martha served. And so wherever the gospel is preached, wherever this story is told, you know who's mentioned? Guys, Martha. Martha is mentioned. And so, um, and it doesn't say that she, like, you know, Martha pitched in for the perfume, anything. It just says Martha served, 
right? And so that, that, that's part of this worshiping scene. She offered her sweat. She offered her skill. She offered her service. And look, the aroma of Mary's gift was, yeah, it was great. It was insane, right? I can't even imagine. Um, but if I was in this room, you know whose gift I think smelled better? Martha's, right? Like, I like me some sweet perfume or spicy perfume, but not like a pound's worth. Like, I want to smell like Bethany brownies, right? I don't know, again, I don't know if that's biblical, but whatever it was at that time, they had some good stuff in Bethany, and so she is making that, so I want to smell that. And so, you know, whatever resources we have, we can use them to worship the Lord, it can be our time, you know, it could be resources, it could be our skills, um, whatever it might be. I don't know what you have to offer, but you have something to offer. I'm not begging anybody for money. Everybody has gifts and skills and time, even the gift of your presence. And I believe that that, that is fragrant to the Lord as well. I don't believe that the Lord measures out the cost of something necessarily financially. So what skills do we have to offer? Not only that, how can we offer them extravagantly? Like that's the one that has me convicted this week. <laughs> you know, even, even if like me, maybe you're like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. I worship the Lord, right? Extravagantly, church, I think I fall short. I think I fell a lot short. And so that is something I need to work on because Jesus is worth being worshiped extravagantly. I believe that. I preach that. So why wouldn't I show that to everybody? Why wouldn't I upset the world with my extravagant worship of Jesus? And so in conclusion, what we find in these verses, again, classic John style, contrast. Show the good, show the bad. Mary is generous. And Judas is greedy. Mary is humble. So humble. And Judas, he, he is just arrogant. Like, what does this guy think he's, what he's doing? Uh, Mary kneels while Judas just stands in judgment of everything that's taking place. And so, don't be like Judas. Like, this, this, this passage is very simple. Don't be like Judas, right? Don't worship money. Don't be like the chief priests who worship themselves. Be like Lazarus. Be a friend of Jesus. Have new life in Jesus, be a worshiping servant like Martha, Martha with whatever you have. And be an extravagant worshiper like Mary, because Jesus is worth it. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.